0: Lord help us as we read these scriptures and as we bring this to our consciences and to our hearts. So brethren let us read together Romans chapter 1 from verse 8 to verse 12. This is Paul the once hater of the church now an apostle of God. Verse 8. First I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Because your faith is proclaimed In all the world. For God is my witness. He says. For God is my witness. Whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. That without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers. Asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you. That I might impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Both yours and mine. Amen. This is the reading of God's word. My dear brother, my dear sister, my dear friend. The heart of a man reveals what that man truly is. The heart of a woman, reveals what that woman really is. We say many words, and we do many things, and there are many things that are manifested externally, but what it is in the heart genuinely reveals who we are. The scriptures says in Proverbs chapter 27 verse 19, that just as the water reflects the face when you come and lean towards the water, so the heart reflects the men. When you come to the water and then you lean towards and then you can see the reflection of your face there, so your heart reveals who you really are. It does no matter what we say, it does no matter what we do externally. What it is in our heart, it is what it really, it really matters and the heart of men is not revealed in times of peace, when all things are good, and when people do and say the things that we want them to do and say. The heart of men is revealed in times of adversity. In peace, it is very easy to say things. But when it's adversity, many times cowardly would decide to remain quiet. In times of peace, sometimes it's just simply easier to speak very boldly of the things that should be and the things that should not be. But in times of adversity, many times the people that said all of the things that should be done in times of peace, cowardly remain passive. Do you want to see the true character of a man? Do you want to see the true character of a woman? Do you really want to see your true character? Then, Find yourself, your, find your heart in times of adversity, in times of difficulty. Because in times of difficulty, what really is inside of you will be manifested. And that, my dear brother and sister, apart from Jesus Christ, and apart from the grace that he manifests and gives to his people, should be very fearful for us. Our hearts are deceitful. Our hearts are wicked. What we have inside of us is evil continually. That is what the scripture says. Our heart is the worst enemy that we have. Because at least enemies are outside of us, but we have one that is inside of us. In the flesh that testifies to us the things of the flesh and the things that should not be. Our heart, my dear brother, is sinful. Full of sin. And because He full of sin, He many times makes us sin and gives us the outcome of that sin, which is death. Our heart many times is self-centered. We want to be the center of all things. We want to be heard. We want to be observed. We want to be followed. We want to to receive worship. We want to be the center of all things. That is what our heart wants and desires. And because our heart is full of sin, and because our heart is full of self-centeredness, our heart by nature is hater of God we hate god the one that receives and deserves all worship and mercy and glory he is the one that we naturally hate in our heart because our heart is filled of sin and self-centeredness and perhaps someone might say yes brother that's why we need a new heart and my answer to that is no brother we don't need a new heart we need the heart of christ If God was going to come miraculously down and take the heart of a sinner that is filled of sin and filled of unrighteousness and filled of wicked ways. And he was going to cleanse that heart. If he was going to remove the sin of the heart of that person. If he was going to take the unrighteousness of the heart of that person. And that person was going to be left with the heart like the heart of Adam in the garden. That heart will end up sinning for sure. Because men, a part of union with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, is always vulnerable to sin and to imperfection. We don't need a new heart that is cleansed only. We don't need a new heart that is righteous only. We need the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the Lord Jesus Christ is the Lord of the new creation. The reason why the Christian as a new creation is guaranteed that he's going to remain in righteousness and that he's uh, that he's going to be made like the Lord Jesus Christ and that he's going to achieve glory is because Jesus Christ is the Lord of the new creation. We don't, go, we don't want to go back to Adam and to the old creation. We want to be under the lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh my dear brother and sister, what we want is not only a new heart. We want to have the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the heart that was being formed in the Apostle Paul. Hater of the church one day, lover of the church the next day. I just think about it. That is just crazy. Hater of the church one day. And literally lover of the church in the following days. Hater of the Christians one day. persecutor of the Christians one day. And then the next day a helper of the brethren. One that sacrifices himself for the brethren. Hater of God. A God that he had made in his own image under the old covenant and now worshiper of the true God, the one that is revealed in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul did not have a new heart. Paul had The heart of the Lord Jesus Christ, my dear brother and sister. So when we go and see the letters of the Apostle Paul, we are not seeing the wisdom of the Old Testament, and we are not seeing the wisdom that Gamaliel imparted to Paul. We are seeing the wisdom that Christ gave to Paul, and the heart of Christ that was being formed inside of the Apostle Paul. And glory to God, because the same heart that was being formed in Paul, brethren, Is the heart that is formed in each Christian that by grace through faith comes to him. We don't want a new heart. We want the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ for the church is one of love. Think about that, you that have been saved. Think about your sins and think about the things that you have done and think about the things that you have said and think about all the things that you have done in your life. Yet, He loved you so much that He gave your life to save you and to redeem you. Oh, brother, sister, you did not deserve to receive the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ. You did not deserve that the triune God will look to you with grace. We deserve that the triune God will look to us with wrath and judgment, yet in the person of Jesus Christ we have received the love of God has been bestowed upon us and we have been made the children of God. God loves his people and he loves his people so much. That he sent his only begotten son to die upon the cross so that his people will be united to him. They will be rescued out of this wilderness and they will spend eternal communion and joy with God. So if someone is going to claim that they have the heart of Christ, one would expect that the same love that Christ had for the church will abide in the heart of that person. Or not? If someone was going to say that they love God and that they love Jesus and that Jesus has been formed in them, when will expect that that person will love the bride just as the Savior loved the bride. And if a person was going to be found with a heart that lacks entirely love or affection for the church... One could not come to the conclusion that that person is generally being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ or that that person has the heart of Christ because the heart of Christ loves the church. If a person was going to be found in the secret place of their souls or hearts with hatred towards the brethren, then it would be impossible from the scriptures and from simple reasoning to say that that person has had a genuine encounter with Christ who loves the church and gave himself for her. It would be impossible to conclude that a person who does not feel for the church like Christ felt, or that is growing in the likeness of Christ in that regard, is a genuine Christian. As simple as that. The things that we have just read, brethren, in verses 8 through 12, are not the characteristics, were not the emotions of an apostle to the church. These are not feelings or emotions that a ha- only the heart of an apostle will feel towards the church. This is what the heart of Christ in Paul and in every Christian should feel for the congregation. My desire, brethren, is that as we see these three verses here, we will see the characteristics of a Christ-like heart for the church. And that as we are there seated, or my, myself here speaking Under the scriptures and under the truth that is contained only in those verses that we will come to terms with the Lord. Because if we say that we love him, we should love the people of God. If we say that we are Christians, we should love the people of Christ. If we say that this Savior that has died for us is the owner of my affections and my heart, then... I should love the people for whom he died. And this relationship that I had to Christ should not be one of religion, but should be one of my soul and my heart. This relationship that I have to Christ will not be something that I do on a Sunday or on a special occasion in religion, but rather it should be one that constrains and takes the totality of the life of the one who professes to be a Christian. And that should be manifested in the love that we have for the church. There are three characteristics that I want us to see in the passage that we have in front of us that testify and open and gives us a glimpse into the heart of the Apostle Paul that, as I said, is not the heart of Paul. It is the heart of Christ that has been formed in him. Thankfulness, inter- intercession, and desire to serve. Thankfulness for the church, intercession for the church, and desire to serve. This is what we see in these verses from 8 through 12. That the work of the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ in the heart of Paul moved him in such a way that he was thankful for the church. That he was praying and interceding for the church. And that he was desiring to serve the church. That the workings of the Spirit, the genuine workings of the Spirit in the life of the Apostle Paul were moving him to be thankful for the church, to intercede for the church, and to desire to serve the church. And when we go through the text only by reading it and then just bringing some of the truth from the text, our hearts are to be confronted with that reality. Am I thankful for the people of God? That is a simple question that we should ask ourselves, not in the ears, but in the heart. Am I thankful to God through the Lord Jesus Christ for the people of God? Am I thankful? Do I have gratitude for my brothers and sisters? Does gratitude, thankfulness abide in my heart? When I think about my brother and sister, my heart is thankful to God for them. Second, do I pray for my brothers and sisters? Do I intercede for my brothers and sisters? Third, do I desire to serve my brothers and sisters? Is is the presence of Christ in me leading me to desire genuinely to serve my brothers and sisters? May the Lord help us as we consider this text, my dear brother and sister, first... Thankfulness, the Christ-like heart for the church that the apostle had was a heart of thankfulness. The apostle was thankful to God through the Lord Jesus Christ for the people in Rome. That is what we have there in verse 8. If you pay attention, says the apostle, first, the apostle says, first, as if he was going to say many things. Now, the most important thing that I want to say to you, he says here, first. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Speaking to the people in Rome. The heart of the apostle has been open. A confession has been made. That the spirit of Christ inside of Paul has now moved him to confess. And to put it in writing and to say that he is thankful to God. Through the Lord Jesus Christ, through the Savior, for the brothers and sisters in Rome. Brothers and sisters that he had not met. Brothers and sisters that he had not seen. Brothers and sisters to whom he had not preached yet, yet the apostle says that he is thankful to God through the Lord Jesus Christ for the brothers and sisters that were in Rome and because their faith is known all throughout the world. Thankfulness, a virtue and a sign of genuine conversion. There cannot be someone who is genuinely saved whose heart is not thankful to God. How could a person claim to be a Christian and not to be thankful to God? This topical theme of thankfulness is so important for the theology of the Apostle Paul that he only mentions this thankfulness 50 times in his letters. He is the one, the author of in the New Testament that most mentioned the topic on thankfulness in the scriptures. Because thankfulness is vital for the Christian life. Such is the importance of thankfulness that in, verse, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, he will say that the Christian is to give thanks in everything. You know why? Because that is the will of God for you. Brethren! the will of god for you that in everything you will be thankful how is someone going to say that they are not thankful if they are christians the apostle says that in everything we are to be thankful because that is the will of god and my dear brother my dear savior my my dear uh, friend Here I can see the power of the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, working and operating in the heart of Paul. Because as I said before, he had not met these people. He had never seen them before. He had not preached to them, yet he can conclude that he is thankful. And the reason why he is thankful there, you can see it is because the faith of the people in Rome had been proclaimed to the whole world. When the apostle says that, he's not referring that the faith of the people, the brothers and sisters in Rome, was proclaiming every single country of the world, but rather that all the known world in which the gospel had arrived and all the known world in which churches had been established and all the known world in which Christians existed had given a report. And that report is that, brother, apostle, have you heard of the brothers and sisters in Rome? Have you heard of their faith? Have you seen how they work love and how they work good deeds because they love the Savior? Apostle, have you heard of all of these brothers and sisters? And you didn't have to do anything with their initiation. You didn't have to preach the word to them, yet they have come together as brothers and sisters. And we hear of the word of God that is working mightily in the midst of these brothers and sisters. So both Paul and the brothers and sisters throughout the world were thankful to God for the report of the faith of the saints in Rome. Thankfulness. And the very interesting thing here, brother and sister, about the thankfulness of Paul, it is that he did not have anything to do with the people in Rome. Think about this. He was an apostle to the Gentiles. His mission was to go and preach the gospel and plant churches among the Gentiles. If someone was, was going to measure the success of the ministry of the apostle Paul. If someone in the flesh, as many times we humans do. In the flesh, if someone was going to measure the success of the ministry of the apostle. One would say, how many churches has the apostle planted? How many People have been converted through the preaching of the apostle. If someone was going to measure the success of his ministry, okay, how many Timothys and Silas and and Titus has the apostle disciple? Let's let's see what are the immediate results of the ministry of the apostle so that we can measure his success. And it would make sense that then the apostle would say, Thank you, Lord, for these churches that have been planted through my ministry. Thank you, Lord, for, this, for these brothers and sisters that have been saved through the preaching the, through my preaching. Thank you, Lord, for these people that are being conformed to Christ through my discipleship. Thank you, Lord, for all of these glorious things that you're doing through my ministry and that you're doing through the things that you do. But here the apostle, my brother and sister, people that he has not seen. People that he has not visited. There's no vested interest that the apostle has in them yet. His heart is thankful for the one he has not seen. The apostle cannot take credit for the Romans. The apostle cannot take credit for anything that is happening in Rome. Yet he says, Lord, I'm thankful for your work. I'm thankful for the work of God that is happening with my brothers and sisters. Because the love that Paul had in his heart for the brothers and sisters was not contingent or connected through his ministry. He was connected through the person of Jesus Christ. And that is to be thankful. That is to be thankful in the person of Jesus Christ. It is very interesting that later on in this chapter, the apostle is going to give us an insight into what an unthankful heart is. I don't think that the apostle is on purpose trying to find parallels there. But if you come quickly to verse 21, very interesting that the apostle, I don't think that he was trying just to do that, but he's actually going to do it by the inspiration of the Spirit. He's going to give us an insight into what a heart that does not give thanks looks like. He's thankful in verse 8. And then in verse 21 of chapter 1, he's going to give us an insight into a heart that cannot be thankful to God. It says in verse 21. Remember, this is speaking of the reprobate. Speaking of those who hate God. Verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. Sometimes we don't pay attention to these little things. You know, We pay attention to they knew God. They did not honor him. But then he says, or give thanks to him. They were unthankful. These ones that they knew God and they did not honor him as God, they were unthankful. Now continue. But they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Here's the definition of these people that are unthankful to God. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. The proud men cannot be thankful to God. The proud men cannot be thankful to God. And then you will say, well, brother, this is not speaking of Christians. This is speaking of people that are not in the Lord. Yet, but brother or sister, are you going to claim that your heart is completely free of pride? Because if you claim that your heart is completely free of pride, then this this text will not apply to you. But if there is a hint of pride in your heart, then the nature of what pride does in a heart is applicable to you and to me. The proud Christian cannot be thankful to God for his church. Just as the proud man of verse 21 is not thankful to God, the proud Christian, man or woman cannot be thankful to God for his church. Pride has taken the heart of that person and has made that person preeminent, even over the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. A heart heart that is filled with pride blinds that person so that the brothers and sisters have no grace of Christ in them. So that those brothers and sisters who have been bought by the cross and by the Savior have no value. And then they are not thankful to the Lord for them. Brother and sister, all of our hearts are prone to this. All of our hearts are prone to be prideful in our own ways and to want to satisfy ourselves and to despise our brothers and sisters and not to be thankful to God through the Lord Jesus Christ for them. All of us within our hearts have the capability of being distracted so much with self and taken over by pride that we will not be thankful to God for the brothers and sisters. We need the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that will show us how small we are and how undeserving we are even of the presence of our brothers and sisters so that we will value and we will love and we will be thankful to God through the Lord Jesus Christ for our brothers and sisters. Now, brother and sister, as you stay there and you am there and I'm asking this question myself, are you thankful to God for the brethren? Are you thankful to God for the brothers and sisters? Are you thankful to, what, for, to God for what the Lord is doing in the hearts of brothers and sisters around you? Or are we so concerned with self? That we don't even have time to say thank you, Lord, for the life of him and her. And you have placed them sovereignly and providentially around me. So that I will be edified and conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you so much, Lord. Because you know by your sovereign hand and your providence that this is the people and brothers and sisters that should be next to me. If that is difficult, how are we going to join Paul and the early church that were giving thanks for other churches, brethren? How are we going to be thankful for the church somewhere else? How are we going to be thankful for the church of these brothers and sisters that we don't even know? Many times we're more prone to criticize them and their ways rather than to be thankful for what the Lord is doing among them. The Christ-like heart is thankful for the church. Second, maybe your brother and sister, verses 9 and 10. The Christ-like heart... It's a heart that prays and intercedes for the church. Pay attention to verse 9. It says, For God is my witness. Just the weight of those words, brethren. Like I don't have to expound much. For God is my witness. And you know what I'm going to ask you, right? For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, That without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers. Asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. The apostle, once again, my dear brother and sister, has opened his heart. This is the confession of the apostle. That he is not only thankful to God through the Lord Jesus Christ for the brothers and sisters in Rome. But he is also praying for them. That this apostle prays for the brothers and sisters in Rome. The apostle knows that just as thankfulness is a vital sign of genuine conversion, so it is interceding for the brothers and sisters. How am I going to say that I love you if I don't pray for you in the secret place? The secret place and the intercession for the saints is the manifestation in the secret place that we love the brothers and sisters. It is easy for me to say that I love you. It is easy for me to do things that apparently manifest my love towards you. My love for you is seen also in the secret place and my intercessions for you. Prayers are very important for the extension of the gospel, for the proclamation of the good news of the Savior, and the apostle knew it. The apostle knew that prayers are vital for the extension of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Such is the case that not only one, but twice, or three times, four times, and five times the apostle is going to confess in the New Testament that he has been praying for the churches. Not only the Romans, but the Ephesians, the Colossians, the Philippians, and and the Thessalonians received the apostolic testimony that the apostle had been praying for them. And such was the importance of prayer in the extension of the apostolic mission that many times the apostle is going to ask those same churches that they will pray for him. That doors will be open for the proclamation of the gospel and that the apostle of apostles will have clarity of speech. As if he needed it. Brother, sister, pray for me that I may preach with boldness and clarity. The apostle, the one who knew so many things. And the one who had been trained at the feet of Gamaliel. He he knew that prayer was very important for the extension of the kingdom. And for the proclamation of the gospel prayer, he was on his knees praying for the church. And there are a couple of things that I want to show you there from the text that are going to teach us about the prayer life of the apostle for the church. Remember that I'm saying to you that a Christ-like heart for the church is a heart that prays. The first thing that I want you to see from the text, those two verses, my dear brother and sister, is that the prayers of Paul were faithful. He was a faithful warrior of prayer. Who is going to come and say, God is my witness? If I have not been praying for you, or if someone is going to be praying, saying just simply with the lips that they have been praying, who is going to say, God is my witness? Many times we say, yes, I'll be praying for you. Yes, I will be praying for you. How many of those statements could be accompanied with the statement, God is my witness? The one that sees all things. The one that sees if we say, I will be praying for you, and we don't pray. The one that knows the secret place of our minds, of our hearts. God is my witness. Paul had to be a faithful warrior of prayer for the church in order to bring God as his witness to testify that indeed Paul has been praying for the brothers and sisters in Rome. And that is in the case, Paul knew the power of prayer. And for that reason, he was praying for these brothers and sisters that he had not seen. He had not met. He had not visited yet. Yet he knew that the ministry of the work was going to be fruitful only through the prayers of the apostle in the Holy Spirit. Second thing that I want you to pay attention there to the text is that the prayers of the apostle were diligent prayers. Not prayers here and there, but diligent in prayer. He says, Whom I serve with my spirit, that is, that I serve with all my heart in the gospel of his son Jesus Christ, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers. The apostle. That perhaps knew hundreds or thousands of other Christians. The apostle that was so busy with churches here and churches there, and persecutions and tribulation. The apostle that many times had to work to provide for himself and the work of the ministry. The apostle that was going from one place to another now brings God as witness to say to the Romans that he prays for them without ceasing. That he makes mention of the brothers and sisters in Rome without ceasing and that always makes mention of them in his prayers. This man was not only a faithful warrior of prayer, this man was diligent in his prayers. If you know the difficulty of what it is to train the flesh to pray, brothers and sisters, and that is because the flesh cannot be trained to pray. We need to behold the love of Christ in order to pray. We need to behold the beauty of Christ upon the cross and what he has done for his people in order to be faithful warriors of prayer. In order to be diligent warriors of prayer like the Apostle Paul. We need to have a glimpse into what God is doing in Jesus Christ through his church. And the importance of these prayers for the success of the mission of God. In the bringing of salvation to the peoples of the earth. So that we will be diligent in our prayers. That the affairs of this world and that the, you know, the busyness of our life will not take over and make us People that are diligent in prayer, just like the apostle. Once again, he was not praying this way because he was an apostle and he had a particular calling. Yes, that was part of what he did. But brother and sister, one goes to his knees because one loves Christ. And not because one is a pastor or one is an apostle or one has this title or the other. What brings a Christian to his or her knees is the love of Christ that compels them. What brings a person to confess and to bring in the presence of Christ is the love of Christ that compels us. He was diligent in prayers. And second, and, or third, and very important, brother and sister, I want you to pay attention there in verse 10. He was not only a faithful warrior of prayer, and he was diligent in his prayers, but also he was patient in his prayers. He was patient in his prayers. You, you see there in verse 10? Verse 10. Always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. The apostle desired to be with the Romans, but he had not had the opportunity. Actually, we know from the following verses that he had been hindered. This is not the first time that the apostle is asking, Lord, Lord, I do not cease to pray so that perhaps... Perhaps by your will, at last I may succeed in coming to my brothers and sisters in Rome. This is not the first time that he's writing this. He would have given many prayers to the Lord saying, Lord, please bring me to my brothers and sisters in Rome. Yet he continued to pray because he was not impatient just to simply go astray from his prayers. But he was diligent and faithful and he was also patiently waiting in the sovereignty of the Lord to work and to respond in his prayers. And actually, as we know, the prayer of the apostle is going to be answered and he is going to end up visiting the brothers and sisters in Rome. He was not only faithful, he was not only diligent, but he was also patiently waiting for the sovereignty of the Lord to answer prayers. And that's when you are going to be patient. That's when you need to be faithful and you need to be diligent. Because when a prayer is not answered, you are going to be tempted to stop. You're going to be tempted just to give up. And you're going to be tempted not continue to be in the presence of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Remaining in the secret place of prayer. But the apostle who knew who his God was. And who knew how the Lord answers prayer. He was diligent diligent patient and he remain in there praying for these brothers and sisters that he will be able to come and see them brother my dear sister has the love of god compels us in such a way has the cross of the lord jesus christ compels us in such a way Are we aware of this glorious mission that Christians have upon this earth of bringing the light of Christ, of proclaiming the goodness of our Savior? That we know that we should be faithful, diligent, and patient in our prayers? That we should remain at our feet and on our knees interceding for our brothers and sisters? Do we genuinely pray faithfully and patiently for our brothers and sisters? Are our prayers filled with desires for the edification of our brothers and sisters with the heart that Paul had here? Do we genuinely know that this battle in which we are as Christians is not something that is fought, or is not something that is won with the intellect or with answer to questions, but that is won spiritually, brother and sister? Do we know that our enemies are not so much the ones that we see, but rather the ones that we do not see? Do we know that the greatest enemy is not outside or in the government, but inside of you? Do we know, my dear brother and sister, that this battle is to be fought in the context of the local church and on our knees with the sword of the word of God? Because Paul knew that. And because Paul knew that, that was his method of ministry. That was his method of loving the brothers and sisters. Being thankful to the Lord through Jesus Christ for the brothers and sisters. And being faithful, diligent, and patient in his prayers. Now finally, my dear brother and sister, if you come there to verse 11. A Christ-like heart is not only one that is thankful and one that is diligent in prayers. But is also one that desires to serve. One that desires to serve. Pay attention to verse 11. It says. For I long to see you. That is actually the main reason of his prayers. If you go in verse 10. Always in my prayers. Asking that somehow by God's will. I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you. That I may impart to you. Some spiritual gift. To strengthen you. That That is. That we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. The apostle had not had yet the opportunity to serve the people in Rome. One would think that because he's an apostle, right? Because he's an apostle and the main service that an apostle does to the church is to give the word of God. That the sending of the letter was enough. Wouldn't you want to have a letter that is coming from the hands of the apostle or from a tertius, but from the apostle? Wouldn't you want to have a letter that is coming from John or from Peter? One would think that the main service that the apostle or the preacher can do to the brothers and sisters is just simply by giving them the word of God in this letter. But the apostle knew that Christianity is much more than that. It is not only about the preach and written word, but it's about also the living word. The word that is lived in the heart of the preacher and the word that is lived in the heart of those who receive the word of God. So the apostle is not satisfied only with sending this letter, which they are going to receive, but he also manifests here his desire to go and impart a spiritual gift to the people in Rome. And unless someone may think that the impartation of spiritual gifts was that the apostle was going to come and lay hands on the, on the Romans, or the people in Rome, and they were going to be speaking in tongues, or that they were going to be prophesying, that they were going to be doing charismatic things like those, the apostle explained to us what that is, that impartation of that spiritual gift in verse 12. He says, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Let me just point you to a couple of things here, my dear brother and sister. Even though the apostle had the ability and the grace of writing the letter to the Romans, and that was going to be of great encouragement for the people in Rome, he knew that there was something important also that he needed to do, and that is to be with them, face to face so that he can serve them, so that he can be of encouragement to the faith of the brothers and sisters. He knew that it was important that Paul will come in the flesh and be present with them so that he will serve them. Yes, of course, the service of the apostle would have been the preaching of the word and the teaching of the word and answering questions that these brothers would have, but it was necessary the presence of the apostle so that they will be able to encourage in the faith, and brother and sister, did you pay attention there to the humility of this apostle? Because this apostle, who has had an encounter with the Savior, this apostle who has received the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, this apostle who has been taught in the ways of the Lord Jesus Christ, is going to acknowledge that just as the Romans need to be encouraged in the faith, He also needs to be encouraged by the Romans. The apostle of apostles. He has not seen them. He has not visited them yet. He has not preached to them. He he does not know their names. He does not know their gifts. But he knows one thing. And that is that God has saved these people. And because God has saved these people, the Spirit of Christ is among them. And if the Spirit of Christ is among them, then I don't need to know their names. I don't need to know where they come from. I don't need to know how they look like. The only thing that I need to know is that Christ Jesus is in them. And if Christ Jesus is in them, they have something that I need. They can be of encouragement to me. They can have a grace that has been bestowed upon them that is going to be of encouragement to my faith. I can be a better Christian by being with this brother. I can be a better Christian by being with this sister. I can be nourished in my inner man just by being in the presence of my brothers and sisters. Oh, brother and sister, this is antithetical to the flesh. We want to be the one that is sought for. We want to be the one that is asked a question. We want to be the one that is the helper of all. We want to be the one that directs and guides everyone. We want to be the one that receives the vulnerable. We want to be the one one that is fallen. We want to be the one that picks up the one that is fallen. But we don't want to be vulnerable to proclaim that we also need our brothers and sisters. It is difficult to say. It is difficult to recognize the need that we have in and of ourselves for our brothers and sisters. Yet, Paul recognized. That this was the case. That if he was going to come and visit the people in Rome, this was going to be for mutual benefit. That they were going to be encouraging one another in the faith. And that is how the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is edified. And my dear brother and sister, this is the heart of Christ that is being conformed in the heart of a Christian. Brother and sister, let me start. Let me just finish with the first thing that I start saying. The heart of men reveals who they truly are. We can say many things. We can do many things. But the heart of men reflects who men really is. Just as the water reflects the face, so the heart of a person reflects who they really are. Are we thankful for our brothers and sisters? Can we say with God as a witness, you don't have to open your mouth, but as God as your witness, the one that sees in your thoughts and in your heart, can we say that are we thankful to God through the Lord Jesus Christ for the church? Can can we say that we're thankful to the hand of God that is working in the life of my brother and sister and instead of seeing their shortcomings, but many times we do need to see them and address them, but at the same time, am I able to see some of the grace of Christ working in my brother and sister to say, Lord, Thank you so much. Thank you so much for that brother and sister. And is that love of Christ compelling me and taking me to the secret place to intercede for them by name? And to know that the Lord has placed them providentially around me. And that they are my brothers and sisters. And that I need to pray for them faithfully, diligently, and patiently. Waiting for the work of the Lord to be completed in them. Or am I so impatient that when I see a brother and sister that is not bearing fruits as I would want them to do. I'm so frustrated that I just simply walk away from them. I, I, I I I can't do it anymore. Oh brothers and sisters, let us not let our flesh prevail on these matters let us not be given to our flesh because that is not the way that the church is going to be built we need one another insofar as we are becoming more like the Lord Jesus Christ and if the grace of Christ is in our heart then there is something in you that I need and there is something in me that you need and we should be happy, and satisfied, and blessed with the fact that this is the way that the Lord works in the midst of the church. We should desire to be like this apostle, humble apostle, that at the feet of Jesus Christ learned to love the ones he hated. That at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ, this apostle learned to serve the ones that he wanted to kill and destroy. That at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ, he learned to Teach the ones that he wanted destroyed. And that is the work only of the Holy Spirit. That's why this apostle later is going to say that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Because for me to love you, power is needed. For me to be patient with you, power is needed. For me to intercede for your souls and to pray for you, power is needed. It's needed. Never ever think that I'm going to be able to love and to be nice and to be this or that to you. I don't want that in my own flesh. I want to run away in my own flesh. But it's the power of Jesus Christ, the one that moves us to love one another, to serve one another, to be patient with one another, and to say, Lord, Thank you for my brothers and sisters. Thank you for what you are doing in them. Because apart from your grace, nothing could be built and nothing could be done. This is the Lord that we serve. And the one that we serve, whose name is Jesus Christ, has a bride. And that bride is manifested in the context of the local church. May the face of Christ be revealed to us by faith in such a way. That we will not look into our own interest, but rather we will give ourselves with the mind of Christ to the service of our brothers and sisters. If He was God, and He did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but rather He humbled Himself even to the point of death and death of the cross, who am I to count my life as something valuable, not to lay it down for my brothers and sisters? What is there in me that is so powerful and so valuable that I'm going to retain and I'm going to keep, not to be given to my brothers and sisters, whoever they are. May the Lord give us the grace, my dear brother and sister, to be thankful, to pray, and to desire to serve our brothers and sisters for the glory of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let us pray.